You are listening to a sermon series from Open Door Fellowship Church. Good morning, Open Door. You may have uh, figured out already that I am having a little trouble with my voice this morning. For the last 48 hours or so, I've been uh, losing it, and I hope that it perseveres through the end of the second service today. So I'd appreciate your prayers in that regard. Today's message is titled, Love Triumphs Over Law. And it is set in Romans 13, 8 through 10, just three verses. This week when I was thinking about planning this message, it occurred to me that it might seem a little ironic on the Sunday right after the, the one where we talked about politics and government and taxes that we are considering love today. <clears throat> I mean, what could be further from politics and government than love? But then it occurred to me <clears throat> that this is exactly the placement of these things in the text. The Apostle Paul, the man with the incredibly logical and methodical mind, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, put these three verses right after the instructions about governing authorities. Isn't that interesting? And I believe that I might have found the link in these things in the mind of Paul. In verses 1 through 7, he talked about good behavior and evil behavior. He talked about the enforcement of civil order, so to speak. And I suspect that he might have thought, you know, if everyone behaved in a loving way, there would be no need for government at all. Interesting idea, isn't it? Furthermore, those of us who have been given a new nature, who have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God, who have the very life of Christ in us, really can live in a loving way. And indeed, if we do, we need to have no fear of government whatsoever. If everyone loved his neighbor as he loves himself, there would be no murders, no rapes, no thefts, no assault and battery and so on and so forth. In fact, government is necessary because men, excuse me, government is necessary because men do not act in a loving way towards one another. We'll explore this and related ideas this morning. Just a quick note, occasionally someone will ask me why it is that I always have us stand together and read the passage of scripture that we're looking at. There are lots of reasons for that, but I'd like to highlight a couple of them this morning. Number one, there is nothing that I will or even could say this morning that is nearly as important as what God actually said. The second thing is that standing together <clears throat> indicates our respect for the text of God's Word, and reading aloud together helps us to focus on it as a community. So, I'm going to ask that we stand together and read Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, It is summed up in this saying, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit will open our minds and our hearts and that we will see the truth of your word and that we will be changed because of it, that we will be motivated individually and corporately to learn to live in love, to learn to love each other, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and thereby to demonstrate that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Open our minds and our hearts this morning, Father, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. My thesis this morning is that love not only satisfies the law, it surpasses it, supersedes it as our standard of behavior. Love not only satisfies the law, it supersedes it as our standard of behavior. The first major point of the outline is that our only debt is to love one another. Paul starts verse 1 by saying, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. He's using a pun on the word owe. The word is ophelo, and it means to owe, to be indebted to, to be obligated to. If you want to be super technical, it's not really a pun, it's a zygma, but we're not going to go into that, okay? Just trust me, there's a double meaning there that he's dealing with, okay? For those of you who've gone through the Financial Peace University, You may have heard the first part of this verse used as sound advice not to enter into financial debts. That's very good advice indeed. You remember Proverbs says the rich man rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. So the idea of going into debt is not a good one. And Paul is using that idea to tell us something more. Because this is about money, isn't it? What Paul is talking about is love. I made it as big as I could and still fit on the slide. You notice that? That's on purpose. Love is acting in the best interests of the one that we love. Giving him or her what he or she needs. Not what he or she wants. Because that's often very different from what we need, isn't it? So we have to think about the other person. What Paul says is that love is not something that I deign to give to you. It's not as though I'm some French aristocrat riding along the muddy streets of pre-revolutionary Paris in an enclosed carriage flinging pennies at the peasants. That's not the view. No, no, no. Paul tells us it is something that we owe one another. And again, he uses the word to be indebted to. We don't often think about the fact that we owe each other love, do we? I mean, we talk about giving it. Paul says, I owe it to you. We owe it to each other. It's a debt, if you will. It's an obligation. And you say, well, that sounds legalistic. It's not legalistic because it comes from the heart. Do you understand? We're going to come back to that idea again in a minute. 
Love is what I owe you. Here's what Paul's driving at. Since Romans 12, 1 and 2. Remember those verses we started weeks and weeks ago. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The upshot of that is that I owe absolutely everything to God, right? Not only did he create me, not only did he redeem me with the blood of his precious son, not only did he thus welcome me into his forever family, and not only does he indwell me by his Holy Spirit, but the very life that I live in the body of this flesh is Christ's life. It belongs to him. I belong to him. In every molecule, in every atom of my existence, I am his. With that idea in mind, Paul continues in Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, here's one of the ways in which we easily conform our thinking to that of the world around us. The world and indeed our entire culture says, you don't owe anybody anything. You belong to you and no one and nothing else. You don't need to do anything for anyone that you don't feel like doing. Isn't that what our culture says? It is, isn't it? It permeates our entire culture, our entire social structure. God, on the other hand, says, you belong to me. And I am asking you to acknowledge the debt that you owe me by loving others. Oh, that's different, isn't it? Paul goes on to say that love fulfills or satisfies the law. The word he uses here is plerao, and it means to fill up, to complete, to be, it comes from a verb that, a word that means abounding. So to, to make full, to complete, to fill up, to satisfy. The law says do not steal. And love does not steal, right? Thus it completes, satisfies, or fills up the requirement of the law. Doesn't it? Every interpersonal commandment is a prohibition. Now, technically, I should, I should have said every interpersonal commandment other than that of honoring one's father and mother is a prohibition. That one is a positive commandment. It tells the children of Israel not what they should not do, but rather what they should do. By the way, there's an interesting observation that we need to make here for a moment. The Talmudic scholars divided the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, into two tables. Table one, they believe the, the first five commandments, dealt with one's duties toward God. Table two, the last five commandments, dealt with one's duties toward one's fellow man. What is interesting about this commandment is that it occurs on the first table of the law. That it has something to do with our relationship with God in honoring our father and mother. There are a lot of reasons for this, and we could spend the whole day talking just about that idea, about how important fathers and mothers are in forming 
the idea of who God is in a child's life. I'll let you preach that sermon to yourself. But anyway, while we're on the subject of the Decalogue, it's also worth saying that the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, is an encapsulation of the entire Mosaic Covenant, of the entire law. And we know from a book, from this book, from Romans, from Galatians, from Hebrews, that we are not under the law of Moses. So the old man comes along in our mind, in our hearts, he says, Aha, see there? There are no rules for you anymore. You can do anything you want to do. Wrong on both accounts. Furthermore, every one of the Ten Commandments is repeated, expanded, and even elevated to a new standard in the New Testament with the single exception of the Fourth Commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So other than the commandment to honor one's father and mother, every other interpersonal commandment, do not steal, do not covet, do not commit murder, those things, are all prohibitions. They're all what not to do. The commandment to love is a prescribed action. You see the difference, how important that is? Here's the truth. I can literally hate you and still not steal from you, right? But I can't love you and steal from you. It isn't enough just not to steal from you. Rather, what I owe you is love. I must act positively in your best interests to meet your needs. That's what love does. And it is so much more than simply not doing bodily harm towards you or or taking your stuff. Love is so much more than that. I know what you might be thinking, doesn't this become just another subtle form of legalism? One very astute commentator says this, from this it may also be seen that the New Testament ophelain, which is this, the infinitive form of this verb to owe, does not deal, does not lead into externally imposed legalism, but that the Christian commitment to the New Testament imperative develops out of salvation already known. In other words, love flows from the inside out, not from the outside in. Love, as the New Testament talks about love, as Paul talks about love here and in other places, springs from the new heart that Christ gives us when we trust him as our Savior. Love flows from that heart as naturally as blood does from your physical heart. That's the truth. So, third minor point here. This is a parenthetical one. The golden rule is not common to all religions. This is the kind of tripe that you'll hear in um, intellectual circles sometimes. The upper echelons of academia, for example. They, they push what they call the ethic of reciprocity. That it's, well, it's common to all religions. I want you to notice these three statements. This is Confucianism. Do not do unto others what you would not have them do to you. That's from the Analects. Hinduism says this is a sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. Buddhism says hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Did you notice anything about all of those? They're all negative, aren't they? They all say do not do what you would not want done to you. 
Jesus' statement, on the other hand, is positive. Do to others what you would want done to you. Not stealing from you is one thing, but giving you what you need is quite another, isn't it? Furthermore, these same scholars who talk about this ethic of reciprocity will try to say, well, Jesus was really just borrowing this idea from earlier sources because all of these predate the Gospels. But if you want to say Jesus borrowed it, you have to say that he borrowed it from Leviticus 19.18, where God said, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. <laughs> you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That little add-on there at the very end, I am Yahweh, is very important. Because my love for others is based upon who God is. Who God is. Romans 13, 9, Paul said, for, for this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to say that Jesus borrowed it, he borrowed it from Leviticus 19. Of course, it was his anyway. Um, just, I'm just saying. Okay, so... Love fulfills the law by not wronging my neighbor. Romans 13.10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. This is self-evident, isn't it? I mean, if you love someone, you will not intentionally wrong or harm that person, will you? That's what love is, isn't it? On the other hand, love goes way beyond not wronging. It goes to acting in the best interests of the one I love, of my neighbor, my brother in Christ, that stranger. That's why Paul can say, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The law included the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, didn't it? We read that, Leviticus 19, 18. But the the law of love goes higher than that. James talks about the law of love. You know, isn't that interesting? That there's, there's a kind of law built into love. That if I'm acting in the best interests of whoever I'm relating to, not only have I fulfilled the law with respect to that person, but I've gone way beyond fulfilling the law, haven't I? That's what Paul is telling us. He's telling us that we have a responsibility, an obligation to do that, but it's also our privilege to do it, isn't it? Because by doing that, what I'm doing is I'm demonstrating in my actions what God did for me, right? Isn't that right? So it's really interesting, isn't it? I was thinking about this, that we're going to, in just a moment, we're going to look at Matthew 22 again. We looked at this same chapter, Matthew 22, last week when we were talking about taxes. But a little later on in that chapter, there's another little episode that is worth looking at in this regard. 
But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, that seems on the surface to be a genuine question, doesn't it? But the lawyer asked this knowing there were hundreds, literally hundreds, of statutes and ordinances and commandments built into the law of Moses. So he asked Jesus, okay, if you could, if you could boil it down to one, what, what would it be? What would it be? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. <clears throat> the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Wow. Think about that for just a moment. If the commandment to love God is the first one, he says it's where it all starts. That takes us back to what we read in Leviticus 19.18, doesn't it? You shall love your neighbors yourself. I am Yahweh. It's because I'm your God. It's because I am who I am that I'm telling you to do this because I want you to reflect my character. I want you to be like me. And so going back to this commandment that Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6.4, or 6.5 rather, about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. By the way, in Deuteronomy it says might, but mind is what the Septuagint says, and Jesus quoted the Septuagint. Anyway, Jesus is reminding us that he and he alone is the basis of our love for each other and for our love of those around us, our neighbor. It's exactly what Yahweh said in Leviticus 19.18. It's as if God is saying to you, look, I am the reason you can love it all. I made you in my image. I made you for myself. I redeemed you with the precious blood of my son, Jesus Christ. When you trust me, I give you a new heart. I put my spirit in you. I literally give you the ability but also the motivation to love one another. So now my reason for obeying God is not the fear of falling into the hands of an angry God, if I don't, but rather it is because I am only responding to the love that he has shown to me. Right? Do you see how better that is? How much better it is to say, well, I guess i got to love you. Jiminy. It's really tough, I want you to know. It's just not easy to love you. But see, if I realize who I am and what God has done for me in forgiving me all that I have done against him and in giving me his very life in me, in Christ, because he paid for all those things I did, at the cross, which is what that table symbolizes that we'll be looking at in a few minutes. So, as I understand that, and I understand his incredible grace, 
his incredible love in redeeming me out of the pit. Then I look around and I say, I've got to love other people. It's just because it's now who I am. You understand that? <clears throat> Paul is not telling us, <clears throat> pretend, let's play pretend. We know you hate everybody, but go ahead and love them. He's not saying that, is he? He's saying, you are new in Christ. You've, as he said in 12.1, you've given yourself as a living sacrifice to, in order to prove what God's will is. And by the way, his will is to love each other. By the way, isn't it? It's almost as if he had a plan. Yeah, almost. See, it's so easy for us because it is our nature to be legalists. To say, okay, I want the list, God. Give me the list. Here's the stuff I got to do. Here's the stuff I can't do. I got the list. Now I'm going to be okay. Right? Instead, he says, here's the list. Love me. Love everybody else. But, but wait a minute, God. That's really... That means I actually have to think about this. I, I actually have to listen to what that person says and actually care about what he says. Uh, and I have to act on it then. I have to be willing to help meet that person's needs, real needs. See, it's not easy, is it? It's simple, but it's not easy. And if you think about what God did in Christ, it was simple. Christ said, you've sinned against me. I'm willing to take all of that sin to myself and pay for it with my own life. That's simple. But it wasn't easy, was it? So, as we understand what Paul's getting at here, as we get to the, the nitty-gritty of it, so to speak, in our minds, we have to say, okay, so if I'm going to really act the way God did toward me, then I've really got to love all of you. And everybody else God brings into my life. And this is news, I know. Not all people are easy to love. I know that's, that's a shocker for you. Some people, of course, like me, wonderful, easy to love. Yeah, right. See, that's what every one of us thinks, isn't it? Every one of us thinks, well, I'm easy to love. And other people in our lives would say, oh, not so much, you know. But that's the point, isn't it? That's the point. God loved us. When we were enemies of his, Romans 5, right? When I hated him, he loved me. And he loved me by giving his son to die for me. And in that, he gives me a basis to love you and to love those around me. Wow. 
Do you see how much bigger that is than the law? Do you understand that? The law said, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Right? That's what it said. It was the list. And so we think, okay, check off the list. I, I didn't do that. I didn't, I've done that, but, you know, I, God forgave me. Uh, and we go down the list, right? No. Can't just go down the list. We actually have to love each other. We actually have to live in such a way that people see the love of Christ in us because of what we do, because of how we act toward one another. So, love not only satisfies the law, it supersedes the law as the standard of our behavior, doesn't it? It gives us a new way to live, doesn't it? Wow. <laughs> Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, this is uh, seemingly so simple for us, but it is so hard for us because we really are selfish. We really are self-centered, and we really don't like loving others. And yet that's what you've given us to do. And Father, we know that because of what you've done in us, we can do it. Because we have the very life of Christ in us, we can do it. So Father, right now I ask that you will give us a new vision, a new awareness of what love means and how it looks in our lives. We pray that in the precious matchless name of Jesus. Amen.